This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. The galaxies we hear, All right, welcome back to Tell Me This. Super exciting today. I'm Brianne Roos here with Carrie Borkowski, and I'm so happy to introduce <laughs> our guest here today. Um, he's a colleague of mine and a friend, and we've been really excited to have a conversation with Jordan Dickerding. So I'll give you a little background on Jordan, and then we'll jump in. Following his undergraduate education, Jordan served for one year as a volunteer through Francis Corps in San Jose, Costa Rica. Refining his Spanish, he worked in a school that served students with multiple disabilities, as well as children who were deaf and hard of hearing, many of whom were receiving speech-language services. It was through this experience that he decided to enter the profession of speech-language pathology. Through clinical internships and externships, he found the crossroads between his desire to go to medical school and speech-language pathology when he worked as a medical SLP in the inpatient, outpatient, and acute rehab settings. He has since joined Loyola University, Maryland's Department of Speech-Language Hearing Sciences, where he teaches undergrad and graduate students and supervises graduate clinicians in his role as a clinical specialist in our voice clinic, where he enjoys working with clients who seek gender-affirming voice care. Outside of the clinic and the classroom, he enjoys spending time with his husband and their golden doodle, Shula, baking, traveling, competing in triathlons, and drinking coffee. Yay. Um, so yay for the here doodle. we are. <laughs> We're yay for the doodle. Yay for the colleague. So yeah. fun to have three Loyola folks on here. Mm-hmm. Um, so welcome, Jordan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Um, maybe a little nervous being my first time on a podcast. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, we'll see how this goes. So again, thank you for the invitation. I am excited just to have a conversation with you, uh, with you both, um, and to kind of just chat about my journey and kind of um, where I'm at right now. So um, yeah, my name's Jordan. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, his. Um, one of the big things that I like to share with folks is that I am a, a, a queer man, um, especially because of the role that I play at the clinic um, in um, supervising our students with the gender affirming care. And you, uh, Brianne kind of mentioned that I do enjoy hanging out with my husband. So that's a good thing. Um, so, um, not <laughs> and just baking. the dog. I, and baking. I saw and baking. baking. Yeah. Like I love when I can find the time uh, yeah. to do that. So um, yeah, I do enjoy it. It's usually around the holidays a little bit more. So, cool. well, Jordan, oh I, have to, I have to say, Jordan, so I've just, you know, we only met like a year ago. I've heard all sorts of great stories, good stories about you. But I have to say up until this moment, you were kind of like Madonna and, and Prince, which is I didn't know your last name. <laughs> <laughs> And you were just Jordan. And I was like, I know Jordan, just like I know Madonna. <laughs> so, so you that you were in that sort of iconic uh, category for a while, oh, wow. Jordan. <laughs> I mean, I might consider just going with the first name. That, I mean, I mean, that's how it's rolling. <laughs> yeah. He is a Beyonce fan. You know? Yes, I am a Beyonce yeah. fan. So that there is a go. big thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just to circle back on the baking before we get into other questions. Yeah. Jordan's family, just give us a quick. Uh, explanation of those waffles that you make because they are incredible. Yeah, so I um, every Christmas I make about 1,200 to 1,500 cookies. Oh um, <laughs> they're pretty small and like a batch makes about 16 dozen. So they're pretty small, okay. pretty thin, so you can kind of stretch it. Um, but my great uncle, well, actually, I always thought my great uncle developed the patent for this uh, machine that we have. Um, but my mom eventually told me that that wasn't true. And so I've been lying to everyone. Um, but um, 
it's a Belgian cookie where normally you make it over a single um, burner on a, on a stovetop. And my aunt got too impatient. So she told my uncle to, to, to design something. Um, so he took a Black & Decker waffle iron um, where you can exchange the plates and put in his cookie iron patent. Uh, well, not a patent. Um, and you can make four at a time. And so it's a big tradition. And usually you got your iron when you when you got married. But unfortunately, my uncle passed. He's a great uncle. He passed away back in 2010. And my dad and mom kind of helped take over some of the business. Mm -hmm. And I've been making them ever since I was younger. I mean, I always felt like a bit of a, a Girl Scout making my own cookies to <laughs> fundraise my trips to go, like my mission trips and my study abroad, all of that. Um, and so it's a big family tradition. Uh, I only have one iron going. My grandma used to have two. Everyone would be helping. So, yeah, it's a big it's a big tradition. So I'll, I'll make sure you all get your cookies this year. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, he also makes them gluten free, and he delivered them to my house with different color ribbons for the gluten free Aww. and the non. So like big points, big points. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So that's my baking for the right, year. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a lot. So. We always like to start off just with a check-in, Jordan. So just how are you and how is your family? How's Chula? How are Pat? How's Pat? Yeah, I mean, um, Chula's doing well. Um, she's living her best life over here. Um, I was kind of <laughs> nervous. I mean, hopefully she doesn't hit the door to go out. Um, Pat is doing well um, as um, as well. So those are kind of two good areas. Um, myself, it's been the start of the semester and it's been uh, crazy, uh, crazy fun, crazy busy. Um, just kind of taking on new students. The the biggest thing is that I take on first year graduate students. So this is the first time in the clinic, the first time seeing clients. Um, and our program is quite unique in the sense that we have class on Mondays and they're seeing clients four days a week starting, you know, after their two weeks of orientation. And so there's a lot of concern, a lot of worry that they don't really know what they're doing and trying to affirm them in that that it's okay, you don't know what you're doing. That's why I'm here to help you. Um, so as you all know, working in the university setting, it's kind of managing expectations, it's managing emotions, it's a managing, you know, time management. And so trying to help students manage their own while I'm also managing mine, it's definitely a, a challenge. Um, and I mean, again, for me this semester, it's a, it's a bit of a change of what I'm been used to because last year was my first year at Loyola and that was like a whole whirlwind for me um, <laughs> and then expecting this semester to be you know pretty pretty consistent but um, as Brian know I, I I changed my schedule a little bit to take one extra day in the clinic uh, to meet some of the needs that my students expressed before so one extra class technically this semester and I'll have one less in the in the spring so it's kind of flipped um, so it's just a little bit different. So I'm kind of, you know, just trying to embrace that and, and go with the flow and manage the fire hose as much as it, as it is coming <laughs> kind of at me right now. So, but I'm happy to be yeah. here. This is a kind of a nice little break from it all. Yeah, well, we're happy to have you and totally appreciate that very honest answer about how things are, which is just, it's a lot to start off. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a lot to, to get going. So. Well, Jordan, you know that this podcast is all about belonging and that Carrie and I really like to think about belonging and um, write about it. We're in the depths <laughs> of writing about it right now. Um, and so we're curious because you're new to our conversation on this. What is your definition of belonging? Yeah, when you sent me the questions, oh, I hope I can say that because yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course, yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm not giving out any secrets. I hope no, no um, secrets given. <laughs> um, that I mean, it was a bit of a loaded question, um, and I'm just like, what is my definition of belonging? Um, and I mean, a lot of it is just kind of going with like, where is my place in in all of the different aspects of my life, um, and that's where I usually tend to think of like where where I in relation to everyone else. Mm. Um, but a, a common theme for me recently is where I am in relation to my own belonging. Mm. Um, it's been kind of the topic of my therapy over the last couple of years. And so, um, and that's just kind of where I, I, this job has been great for that sense, kind of in the sense that I've been able to spend more time with myself um, and have that as, as a thought. And so trying to find that who I am and the wholeness behind kind of like what aspects I can kind of find in my own belonging. 
Because I mean, I've always told myself and, and others that like, you have to find your yourself before you can, you know, help someone else, whether that's, you know, through the volunteer experience that I did, um, whether that was working as a, a medical speech pathologist and, you know, students that I had there. And now, especially because I'm like working like frontline with our students and being able to really establish who I am um, to be able to kind of, you know, practice what I preach, really. Um, and so that's been kind of that's where I kind of went with the definition of trying to find that that wholeness in, in myself um, and taking care of myself uh, a little bit more so that I can be that more authentic version. Um, and it's definitely improved. I mean, it has. Um, and I, I've always strived to be that person for everyone else. I'm very externally motivated. Um, and so that's part of belonging within you know, groups outside of me has always come pretty easily of, you know, being able to kind of express who I am, um, finding a, a niche of being the the compassionate, the helper, um, listening to others, but also being able to kind of provide some, some levity to the group to make people feel comfortable. Um, and so that's where I kind of feel where I belong with, with folks. And that's what, I mean, I listen to folks to say like, what are my strengths? But now it's trying to find that kind of peace within in myself a little bit more, that that wholeness. Mm. We didn't pay him to say that either, by the way. <laughs> Seriously. That was like dead that on. That was a good, it was a good teeing up there, Jordan. I appreciate I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> same same wavelength here. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you're you've in your bio and just now you've given us, I feel like, a few breadcrumbs, if you will, to your story. <laughs> Right. And we would love to hear a little bit more about your story, specifically around belonging. And mm -hmm. so Bri Brianna and I both acknowledge that that question could take a podcast episode unto itself. Right. And so maybe we're phrasing it as maybe a significant like when I say the story of belonging, what's like a significant moment that comes to mind? Right. Like, who, where are you? Who are you with? What's it feel like? So. Um, we're just inviting you to share whatever you feel comfortable sharing with the audience around that belonging story. Yeah, I mean, as I was reflecting on it, it was, again, like one of these parts of like, where can I really pinpoint it? Um, and I mean, I think, I mean, recognizing who I was as a as a gay man was was a big part of my like living truly into my authentic self. Because um, I was actually writing this down in the sense that I was accepting it within myself, but slightly terrified about what folks around me were, were going to think. And then I qu quickly, quickly crossed that out because I'm like, I think I'm lying to myself a little bit there. Like the only thing that I was really terrified was was about my was about my family, really. I mean, the the people that are closest to me and kind of what that might mean. But outside of that, like I've always been pretty comfortable of you know being truly who I am. Um, with with other folks. And I mean, I and I and people have recognizing where folks do get worried about, you know, walking outside of their house, you know, holding hands with with their partner of the same sex. Um, you know, that's something that I um, I've never really felt too um, like endangered with or um, threatened by. And I know that's a bit more of a, a privilege, I think, that I come with for, you know, just kind of maybe who I am, my appearance as a cis white male. Mm -hmm. um, and like being a male, definitely. Um, whereas our neighbors next door, there were two, you know, um, a lesbian couple and they didn't feel that way. So I can kind of recognize that. Um, but I think that part was kind of the truly the accepting who I was um of kind of really that that conflict within me but i think even like going back to that even a little bit deeper too it's just like i was always worried about what my what my parents thought um and that kind of goes back to my undergrad of wanting to go to medical school because it was it was um colored by their opinion of mm -hmm. status and wealth and like yes i'm going to do that um but then it was like becoming more of myself when i realized okay speech pathology can be where I want to go. Like that's where I can really form connections with, with folks around me. And it was like accepting that, like, that's where I'm coming from again. These are, these are identities that I'm realizing on my own without having that um, outside influence on me. 
Um, and that even came with more recently my transition to, to this job too. So kind of three big areas um, of wanting to be a medical speech pathologist because that was kind of the thing to do in grad school. It kind of pushed me. And while it, it gave me that desire and that drive, I ultimately come back to, I'm very relational. Like I just, I, I, I really hone in on relationships for the most part. And I don't think I was getting that relationship from that career in the sense that like, I wasn't able to build relationships with a lot of my clients, a lot of my, my, my patients. And the ones that I did are the ones that I was going to be seeing for the rest of their life, for the rest of my time at work. And that's where it gave me that, that, that sense of belonging in my job. And so now coming into Loyola, like I can build relationships with with my students. I can build relationships with peers that that have those same values as as me in the sense of education and compassion and openness and um, respect for, you know, the dignity of the person. So it's like those big moments there that have really kind of brought me into like really recognizing within myself that. I can listen to myself and things turn out okay. So you said in there, what I'm hearing and just want to reflect back and check in, it sounds like the presence of connection and relationship is really critical. I'd almost argue that it's a marker or evidence of belonging for you. If if that's true, I would love to hear a little bit more. And the other pieces, are there other markers that you see that show up and you're like, ugh. I, I do belong in this space or uh, I don't belong or I don't feel that 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 sense of belonging because this is absent. I'm just wondering if you could just add a little bit more depth to that that sense you feel. Yeah, I mean, as I, I I'm very externally motivated and I had mentioned that it's yeah. just like when folks like pay attention to me, like I'm very yeah. attention seeking at times. It may not come across <laughs> as that. But it's what I've learned. Um, and Pat will tell you, my husband will probably tell you, agree with that. Um, <laughs> and I, I keep it covert as much as I can. But I mean, it's really helpful because that's, you know, when someone else is checking in on me, that's when I know that I need to do a check in on myself too. Like just to kind of give me that that obvious sign of like, okay, if other people are checking on me, making sure that I can continue to check on myself as well. Mm. Um, and I think when folks do that for me that's where I see that that value in relationship because then I also like know that I need to if I value this relationship I have to do that for for that person as well mm -hmm. and, and that part comes more naturally for me to be able to kind of check in and see how someone's doing and touch base with them give them a little gift if they need to or send them a little note or like being able to do those things um but like it does like I I just value people in relationships that also like check in on me because I mean, that's what I, that's what I want. That's what I desire. Yeah. It's my language really. And so I just, it's, it's a, and it's a two way street. If that can happen, like that's where I really value those relationships. And I can look at each of those moments um, and kind of see, you know, it's my colleagues at Loyola who are checking in with me when a student's in crisis. It's not just about that student. It's about me. Yeah. My, parents when I came out to them yes my dad had a difficult time with it but like they were still there they they would check on me they would go through that part of it um and so my clients or my patients who I saw from my old job they sometimes still reach out to me and kind of check in and and so I just like I know those are the relationships that you know I belong in if mm -hmm. if you will and like continue those kind of like just cherish those yeah, Brianne, it reminds me, Jordan's um, description, we often use language of uh, reciprocity and relationships, mm -hmm. but the the language, the word that was bubbling up for me was, we've talked a little bit about mattering, mm -hmm. right? And I think we've talked recently, Jordan, Brianne and I, about there's some researchers out there that that talk a lot about the importance of mattering and feeling valued by a group. And I think I'm, I'm hearing you, I'm hearing that sort of sentiment. And so, um, yeah, that really resonates. So I appreciate your sharing that. I mean, now, especially, I mean, we're like in this time where a lot of people don't hear that they matter or they're hearing opposite of that. Yeah. Um, hopefully not as much now as in, in the past, but, um, hopefully we're getting a little bit better at that just with the change in, in dynamic in, in the world a little bit. Um, but I just think it's so crucial right now. And, and I look at that in my work too, of like, 
valuing these 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 people coming in to seek my services um, or our services to to affirm them to say you matter here and you you belong here you belong here with us. Yeah, I was curious about that too. I mean, I'm, I would love to know. I guess in a little more detail, and maybe even like the physical feelings that you have um, about what it is to belong. I'm always curious about what how people physically feel with that. Um, and then thinking about your own belonging journey, Jordan, I I want to go off script a little bit to to piggyback on what you just brought up, which is your clients at the LCC at the Loyola Clinical Center. So thinking about gender affirming care. Um, and, and where do you see belonging for them and their belonging journeys? And kind of how does that connect with your with your own journey? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the emotion that comes up is just kind of like a like a, a sigh of, of relief. I mean, I, I hope that comes across um, in, in a podcast of that, that just that sigh, really. <laughs> Um, because it's just like, okay, someone does see me, someone does recognize me, um, and, and the work that I'm doing, you know, and there's a lot of, a lot of things that I, I go and I, and I go, go, go. And I've realized this recently, like, I want that, that drive and to be able to, um, accomplish everything that I want to. And I'm realizing more so now that like, I'm not as externally motivated and, and like I used to be. In the sense now it's this conflict inside of me where I have this anxiety and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do that, but I feel like I have to, <laughs> like this internal dilemma. Yeah. And so it's like when I can let go of there, it's just that that sigh of relief or like someone recognizes yeah. that just like, uh, poof, all right, that's a, a weight off the shoulders. Mm. Um, and I mean, like just talking to some of my clients, kind of bridging that it's, it's I think a, a, a lot of the same too. It's just that they can come into the clinic knowing that it's a, a safe space that we've we've designed um, to give them a sense where they can practice freely. Um, and when I say practice freely, I mean, that comes into any voice or communication strategies um, or just practice being themselves. Like, I mean, in the sense of inviting them to change their clothing so it matches their, 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 their expression. Um, and that's just like, you see it in someone's shoulders and I'm watching on a video, I'm watching on a camera and all of a sudden you can just see, oh, I can. And I'm like, yes, the shoulders drop. They're just like, look more relaxed with their, with their clients or with their, with their clinicians. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, for the, for the clients that have come in and have told me, um, they just appreciate having a space, a space to be more authentically who they are and somewhere where they can, you know, practice in, in that sense. So yeah, and I love how you said, oh, go ahead, Carrie. No, I was just gonna say if I could back us up just like two steps for oh, the sure. non-speech folks in the audience, and I'm putting my hand up, no one can see it. <laughs> can you give us just a really brief primer when we say gender affirming voice care? I think most of us probably don't know what that is. And so I just want to make sure our audience, including myself, are on the same page with the conversation. So that would be great. I, I would feel like by this time you'd have a pretty good lingo background. <laughs> I mean, right? I have a guess, but <laughs> I don't like, like to guess. No, I, <laughs> and like I appreciate know, that. No, I'd like to know more with more certainty. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, when we do gender affirming voice and communication, it's really, I mean, trying to provide our clients with a sense that they can match voice and communication strategies with their with their gender identity or express mm -hmm. and or expression. Um, I was looking over something earlier in the sense that um, voice is one of the, the first things I read that will betray gender identity or expression mm -hmm. in the sense that someone can kind of dress the, they, the way they want to present. They want to um, do their hair, do their makeup, you know, wear clothes that really match and are in congruence with their identity. But it's as soon as they start to use their voice or they may not be aware of their nonverbals that may betray their their gender, their their expression and, and or identity. And so as soon as they go to talk, you know, someone might already start to question. Mm -hmm. And so what we can do as speech pathologist is, you know, I have a background in, in voice evaluation, diagnostics. I look at a lot of vocal cords. 
Brian's included. Um, <laughs> I heard about that. <laughs> um, but ways to be able to provide our clients a safe way, because one of the biggest things is is pitch modification. And so society has, has uh, termed kind of a higher range voice as more feminine and a lower range, more masculine. I mean, that's society again. So we have to kind of take that into consideration, but some folks are coming in with that. So we may try to elevate pitched. And when you do that, you, you pull on the vocal cords, you put real, a lot of tension. And if you do that over a long period of time, you can cause some uh, phonotrauma or trauma to the vocal cords. Um, and so what we can do is we can instill and teach strategies to be able to do that safely um, in ways that it's going to not induce any phonotrauma, induce any fatigue, um, and just give them strategies on how they can do that. And then it's also working on those other communication strategies of if it's body language, posture, hand gestures, um, facial expressions, kind of just changing the tone of the voice a little bit. And so um, affirming who they are um, and how we can best kind of bring voice and communication in line with 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 that, with the, with their identity. In my work, I've collaborated directly with hundreds of educators to support their success. Do you know which of their ed tech frustrations comes up time and again? The sheer number of tools out there and the difficulty of knowing which ones schools like theirs are using to get results. IXL is different. Not only does it perform the functions of dozens of tools, it's currently delivering results for one in four U.S. students, including those in 95 of the top 100 districts. Another major pain point that comes up when a school is excited to implement a new tool only to find out the teachers hate it. Yikes. It helps to know that IXL is loved and trusted by more than one million teachers, saving them time on prep work while enabling them to better support student learning. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments. And independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? If you have a goal to increase achievement for all students, make sure to find out what IXL can do for you. Visit IXL.com forward slash BE for a demo. That's IXL.com forward slash BE. I feel like there must be, thank you for that explanation. That's, that's where I thought it was, but it was so much clearer. So I appreciate that. So great, grateful for that. There must be so much work, Jordan, that you're doing either intentionally or subconsciously just because you are who you are. I mean, I just feel like there must be so much need for belonging in that space for the for the person undergoing the treatment, for the students learning how to be in that space, because I can only imagine that there are a number <clears throat> of students who are having struggles with this moment beyond the technique of working with right so i'm just wondering like i don't know can you give us a glimpse into sort of what that work looks like sh short of the technique but just like all the other discomfort that must be swirling around in that space yeah i mean a lot of the students which i mean we have been very fortunate uh, to have a lot of students who are so excited to mm. be able to offer this this service. Um, one of the biggest things, and I, I'll kind of add to give context a little bit, is that gender affirming voice and communication services aren't covered by insurance. And so, whoop, whoop, sorry, is no worries. <laughs> the mail. We're a dog. Just, we're a dog came. friendly. <laughs> we're a pet friendly space, so it's all good. I was not yeah. expecting that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, greater context is the sense that insurance doesn't cover um, this service. And so people either have to pay out of pocket, which can be pretty expensive, or they yeah. seek out university clinics like Loyola has because it's usually at a reduced cost. Mm -hmm. um, and so students are really looking for this opportunity because they may not see it outside and to have the amount of um, folks that are coming in, it, it gives a lot of uh, opportunity for that. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of students are like so excited because they know how important it is. Um, 
And I, I think one of the biggest things, even though students are so excited about it, they're so nervous that they're going to ask the wrong questions. Mm -hmm. They're going to misgender someone. Um, so it does take a lot of education of, you know, this most likely is going to happen, but how do we respond to that? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I tell them that it happens to me, you know, still, even though I'm, you know, kind of leading this, um, hopefully it doesn't happen as much, but in the sense that I can then model um, if it does kind of in the moment, but that's kind of one of the biggest things for students who are excited but nervous about asking the wrong questions or, or misgendering. Um, but we also have students who this is in direct conflict with with their values, you know, and and so as a as gung ho as I want to be and be like trying to convince them otherwise. Um, I, I get it in the sense that, you know, people have different values than me, different values than, than our clients. Um, but, you know, part of our, you know, thing that we're trying to express more to our students is the fact that this is part of our, our, um, our licensing body. You know, we treat people with, you know, a part, uh, without any discrimination. And that's one thing that we're really pushing right now is bringing our ASHA code of ethics into this is so that we can't discriminate, discriminate against folks for, you know, the list of reasons. Um, and if they're still having, you know, this internal conflict, it, it really allows us to have an educational moment of being able to think about it rather than saying, you know, no, you, you can't do it. Um, but kind of asking them questions, making them think about it, giving them resources to do so that they don't have to be in direct care with the client because we don't want to put them at harm. Mm -hmm. We don't want to put our clients in harm's way either. Um, so being able to use it really as an educational moment um, to calm those kind of nerves and those questions uh, or ask more questions really uh, in, in the sense of providing this care that is it's, it's necessary. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fantastic. And I'm so glad that you shared the range of students um, because it's the truth, right? So there are people who are, you know, more or less engaged or open just as there are everywhere. So that that's helpful. Um, one thing you said before when you started to talk about the clinical centers that I really appreciated and wanted to highlight is that when you were talking about the client's um, sense of comfort, maybe belonging in the space, it's that you designed it that way. Like this is a space that's designed to be opening, or open and, and welcoming and accepting. And to me, that just highlights the intentionality of belonging, right? So as we're exploring this construct, we know that, that we're, we're learning that, you know, we belong just because we are, just because we're here. And also not everybody feels that in different ways. So that's a beautiful, big, radical idea. And then the, the, the actuality of that is, differs for people and you you mentioned it yourself you being a male etc so the the conditions in which we live and operate i think change people's often you know comfort with being authentic and, and that sort of thing so i'm glad that you said that we design a space like we're clear about designing a space and one of our goals in designing it is um, for the comfort of, of folks and i remember jordan when you and i were working on a diversity reading group last year we had listened to a podcast or something and it was talking about um, open like signs that you can see in your in your space and I don't necessarily mean like flyer signs although it could be that but um, rainbows or signs or words or things that may go unnoticed to others but if that's kind of something that you need to see to be able to put your shoulders down and have that feeling of ease that you've described now in yourself and in your clients I think just think it's really important that we're talking about that about the importance of being intentional and knowing what those things are and working hard to do that, pronouns on your nameplate, those sorts of things. Yeah, and I mean, it's and that's and I kind of go back to the students who are conflicted in the sense is that I wanna design a space that they can continue to have that conversation. The last thing I want is for them to shut down and be like, nope, I'm not gonna, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna continue this. Um, because knowing that this is that educational space and yes, I'm here looking out for my clients, but you're my student as well. And that's the, a space that I have to, you have to continue to come back to this clinic. You have to continue to work with your peers who most likely start to know that you have probably, you know, conflicting values as well and how we can really design a space for both, which sometimes you feel like might be, might be challenging, but I mean, it has 
proven to be, I mean, as long as we can be open and direct um, and really, you know, the, the, the exposure to it of having, you know, our transgender non-binary folks, you know, presence in the clinic, like that, that makes someone, you know, start to question things and, you know, see the real person, really see the real person that, that they, that that's walking down the hallway. And so knowing that this is a space for everyone and we can, we can navigate that for, for both, um, for both parties, really. Yeah. I am just sitting here, like taking all the, taking all this in, imagining what it's like. Cause I think what, what keeps coming up for me, Jordan, is we had a, a actually probably about this time last year, we spoke to another colleague at Loyola, um, Dr. Jill Snodgrass about belonging. And she introduced us to a phrase, um, radical acceptance. Mm. And so I kind of feel like when I heard you say that you are bringing the ASHA ethics back into, or more to the forefront, it kind of felt like another way to think about radical acceptance, right? So that you're not being confrontational about a student's views or values. You're finding, I love that you're finding, look, we're all in this field mm. and our field requires this set of values. And how do we navigate this together knowing, you know, that there we have differences of opinion with respect to this particular patient. And so it, I love how you're, I think the message I'm hearing is being able to see both the student and the patient, right? The client, mm -hmm. and then finding that common, that common place, right? We're way more alike than we are different. I like to believe that. <laughs> oh yeah. And I mean, I think one of the biggest things that we've even started this year is extending kind of that commonality outside of just our voice, our mm. voice rotation too, of using like, this is the ASHA code of that ethics. And this pertains to someone who's had a stroke. This pertains mm. to the, the pediatric population too. And so it not only puts our trans and non-binary folks kind of out here on the island all by themselves, where, I mean, we want to be able to say like, this is happening across, and not to like exclude them either, but like being able to show students like, this is what we have to consider in a common language that we use in every aspect of our career. We can't just do this because of who this person is. Um, and so that's kind of a, a bigger push that we uh, are trying to do more now this year in the sense of being able to give that stu the students common language across, the, across their clinical experience. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to, in as we often do, Brianne, in these, these conversations, I'm going to like morph a few questions into one. So you're still <laughs> okay, prepared, Jordan. I'm just changing it a little bit, not to be okay. redundant. This makes me feel a little bit more um, um, calm sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I'm no worries. Really yeah, you're not. You're very prepared. So you've talked a little bit about belonging to self um, and navigating and, and really being intentional in the clinic. I'm really curious, sort of, what's the role of self-awareness here? Like, how does that, how does that play into all the work you're doing, both with your students and also on with yourself and belonging? Can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I was thinking about this question a little bit <laughs> um, because I'm I'm huge on awareness. I mean, as a clinician, I have to have my clients be aware of mm. how they're performing, how they're doing to improve themselves. Mm -hmm. And then I look at myself, I'm like, Ooh, I hate being aware of what I'm doing <laughs> right now because I need to improve this too. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, that's where I keep coming back to my therapist a little bit. I'm like, you're, be, you're making me more aware of what's happening internally mm -hmm. for myself. Um, and so, which I, I'm really appreciative of before, because otherwise I would just go externally, I would just like move outside of myself. Um, and it's something that like, you know, I'm trying to teach my, my, my students a little bit more too, of kind of like how this comes into play with how you interact with others. Like, you know, your awareness of what you're doing and how that impacts everyone around you a little bit. Um, and so the awareness has been really helpful in knowing that I can be more authentically myself like to be able to 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 be able to go out of myself like uh, it, it's better to know more about who I am and what is kind of coming up in me to be able to kind of name that recognize that and work with it somehow um, and it's something that because I've been learning more about this myself and kind of parsing through all the layers of who I am 
I, I'm able to put a name to it uh, ease, more easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think I, I, I think it's huge in belonging because if you don't, if you're not self-aware of who you are, then like then it really makes things difficult for any interactions that you have or wherever else you belong. Yeah. Well, that teased me up nicely because thinking about self-awareness and the intentional work that you've done for yourself, right? The next question really is like, how do you operationalize these things? So what habits and practices have you adopted to support this? And you've mentioned some already, like checking in. It seems like checking in is a huge piece for you. Um, You know, you checking in on others, checking in with yourself. When others check in on you, that's kind of a marker, um, it sounds like, for you. So anything else that you wanted to add to that from before? Yeah, this is the hardest part. I mean, it's (laughs) the the action part of it. Um, It's the actual fulfilling what I I need to do to take care of myself to to really feel like I belong. And so um, therapy, again, has been very helpful and strongly recommend for anyone because, I I mean, it just like gives you the sense that someone can pose questions to you to ask yourself. Um, And so like being able to really kind of dive deeper has been really helpful for me. And so that's been a good strategy. Um, But then also it's just like, self-compassion has been a huge component um, of of me kind of growing within myself because oftentimes I am looking to be compassionate towards others um, and then like when I do something I like it hits hard um, and, and and really like looking at how do I give myself more grace when it comes to those moments um, but also like if it is getting a coffee because I love to drink coffee like I'll treat myself to that coffee um, one of the biggest, uh, I'm a big Parks and Rec fan, if you all have watched it. And one of the big quotes is treat yourself. Um, and so I'm, I'm a big believer in that and being able to, you know, find something that does make me feel good for that that moment. Um, because then I know like, okay, this is okay. I can, I can move forward with this and, and know how to really take care of myself. But yeah, checking in with with those kind of moments, my weekly therapy, um, but also like having conversations. I mean, using my voice has been the my own voice has been one of the biggest strategies that I've been trying to tap into. Um, I was brought aware that I'm helping everyone else figure and use their voice. And so how can I use my voice more so in, you know, speaking up when things aren't right or speaking up when things are bothering me? And I feel like I've been able to do that a lot more once I've been able to kind of discover it within me. Um, and so then like, and then showing it, I mean, that's the biggest thing of like really showing this um, and acting on it to give that model, to be able to be an example. So selfishly I teach. So in the ed leadership department, I teach a, I'm really lucky. I get to teach a critical self-reflection for leadership's course. And so the students, I don't want to call it a gripe. I don't want to mischaracterize it, but their frustration around critical self-reflection is there's no time. How can I do that? How can I fit this in, in my busy schedule? Right. So this idea of self-awareness. So I hear what you're saying, like checking in and I get it because I have been able to develop over many, many years, a practice of, of that for myself. Can you give us just like one more layer, like peel away one more layer? Like what is, like what would be an example like you're you're in you're in your day the thick of your day doing your thing doing it well and there are moments of check-in or self-awareness like what does that look like I mean are you journaling are you meditating are you pausing are you walking outside because you need some air like just for folks like my students who just want to know how to do this hard thing what does it look like for you Yeah, I mean, I I think the biggest thing that I will try to do is because usually I'm just consumed by everything. And then it's kind of circled around my my computer because that's kind of just where life is. And I'm on two different campuses and just my my communication lifeline um, of being able to just close that. And I mean, Loyola's got a a great campus where you can just do a quick lap if you need to. Um, And so there will be times when I just need to like step out and, and do that. I probably will grab a nice coffee on my way out just to do that, but just like take that that moment to walk. Um, I'm also um, I've learned to to do a little bit more just like 
fun reading. Mm. And so just taking my book to to read or audiobooks, I'll throw on the headphones and, and walk the dog. Um, I've, I've recognized and I still need to do a better job of this, of like moving my body is the best um, uh, component. Um, again, I, I do struggle with that still, and I'll be honest about that. Um, but if I can just like get outside and move. Um, another thing that I do like to do, which I haven't really talked about, is working with my hands. And so I do like to do some woodworking. I like to um, build things. Um, so being able to kind of move myself through through some kind of tactile where it doesn't require a lot of thinking and just like get my hands on something. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think too often, you know, I know when Brianna and I started this work way back when, and we would say reflection, we'd get sort of the collective eye roll because students or, or adults have this vision of just journaling and they're not interested in journaling. <laughs> and so none of all of your examples were around nature, moving, reading, woodwork, building things, closing the laptop. So I just appreciate those examples because it just shows that it doesn't have to be just writing in a boring journal if that doesn't resonate with you. And it barely resonates with me. Like yeah. I do it every once in a while. <laughs> if I really am spiraling, I got to just yeah. throw it out there, but that's about it. And then yeah. I like, I, ha I I usually, it has to be something with, with movement. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. If I'm spiraling, poor Brianne gets a text and says, it says, do you have a minute? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't well, write. Have... I just, I just talk. <laughs> yeah, we have had a lot of conversations both directions that way. Yeah. For sure. um, I just want to share something as you were talking, Jordan and Carrie, I was thinking about a book that I read a while ago. It's called Attending by Dr. Ronald Epstein. Mm -hmm. And it's all about um, it's he's a physician and he is trying was trying to figure out how to adhere to the practices in modern medicine of like, you know, your visit is eight and a half minutes long and you've got to hit, mm -hmm. fit all these patients in, et cetera. How do you do that and connect with the patients? And so one of his things that he does in terms of operationalizing this work of reflection is that he just stops before he goes into every patient's room and takes a big deep breath. Mm -hmm. And I remember because the nature of work in acute care, it's like, boom, 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 boom. Like you don't often stop because that's the way you just stand <laughs> mm -hmm. most of the day. Um, and even though I'm out of that sort of intense acute environment, I definitely find that my days are like, boom, 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 you know, just mm -hmm. all, there's so much input. And I really actually very much enjoy that and it's exhausting. So just that like fraction of a second to just like recenter helps me to engage more fully with the person I'm with, as opposed to like taking the last person's stuff with me. You mm. know, it just like temporarily clears the slate. It's not the same as a workout and it's not the same as a walk. And like those things are better for me, but literally just a breath, like a conscious deliberate breath, um, I think can help just give you a moment. Yeah. Agreed for sure. Mm -hmm. So in the spirit of qualitative research, Jordan, we always love to end with, you know, if there's anything you want to share that we didn't have a chance to ask you about, now's the time for you to, to do that. Go through my notes and see what I wrote. <laughs> no, <laughs> Go through um, that journal. Yeah. yeah that right? journal. I mean, it is here. I do have the journal. <laughs> this is the moment. Um, but um no, I, I think the biggest thing that I, I've, I mean, learned, and I think I just mentioned it earlier, is just the self-compassion and the giving yourself grace with whatever you're doing, especially if you're new, if it, especially, or even if you've been doing it for a while, like things change, people change, your experience is different each time you have it. Um, I think I'm saying this out loud in the sense that hopefully, you know, I'll listen back at this and it'll be my reminder to help self-compassion. <laughs> and, yeah. um, but I mean, I, I've been really trying to, I, I like this whole week has been a bit of, uh, it's been, it's been busy and there's been a lot to handle. And so like also looking at my experience in the classroom, you know, miss, you know, saying something and I'm like, wait, that wasn't right. And just like recognizing, acknowledging it and being like, that's okay. There's been so much going on. Um, and like stopping and being okay with that. Um, I, I just, I feel like that's just the biggest thing that I can do for my, myself and, you know, you know, my identity of who, uh, my personal relationship with, with myself and belonging with myself. So 
Uh, I just think it just like gives you that sense of being able to relax the shoulders and, and just kind of continue to move on and take the next step forward. So, I mean, self-compassion and that, that grace. Yes, we all need, we all need to be reminded of that. And I just, I mean, that was so well said, Jordan, I couldn't help but think what a wonderful teacher. Cause like, as you're giving yourself grace and self-compassion, you're also inviting your students and your colleagues and your partner to do the same. Right. It's like we, as soon as we do it for ourselves, we give permission to others. So I just, I just love that you're sending that energy out to your students while also taking care of yourself. So love it. Oh, well, this, that's, this that's conversation like the stuff that's hard to point. <laughs> no, not I'm definitely not. It was great. Yeah, it was great. Anything else, Brianne, before we wrap up? No, I'm just, I just filled with gratitude. It was a great conversation and I always love any time that I get with Jordan. So this is fun to do it in a different way and to talk mm -hmm. about things that are important to all of us. So I appreciate that you came on and that we were willing to chat with us. Oh yeah. I mean, knowing how it was like anytime, really, it's nice <laughs> and fun and relaxed. And again, this is where I can like kind of if I will let my hair down and just enjoy the moment of, of talking with folks. So no, and, and two very, you know, I, I you know, I've carried just getting to meet you last year was, was a great connection and mm -hmm. hopefully this continues somehow. And, um, Brian, I'll see you soon next door, pretty much, um, come distract <laughs> yep, yep. you with all my questions. So I, I'm very appreciative it. of the relationship that I've formed with, with both of you, whether, you know, how long or how much it's been. So yeah. you're doing good work. You're doing good work. Thank you for, for allowing me to share. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on, Brianne, uh, Jordan and Brianne. Thank you for the connection. I agree, Jordan. It's been great. And I look forward to, to what happens in the future. All right, everybody. This has been another episode of Tell Me This. I so hope you enjoyed the show. I'm sure you enjoyed the show and we will be back soon. All right, everybody. Be well. So sincere under the glaciers of your last year. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.